Welcome to Poet in Bangkok. I'm Donald Quist. And I'm Colin Chaney. In every episode, we hear stories from writers, artists, dancers, journalists, and musicians. Yeah, basically anyone we can get to talk to us. And Colin and I will try to cobble together a larger story about making art and expressing yourself during this era of military rule in Thailand. On today's podcast, you're going to hear an interview with musician Dino Tarasen, guitarist and vocalist for the Bangkok-based rock band Degaruda. We talk with Dino about what it's like being in a Thai band, making music inspired by DC hardcore, a politically charged genre of American punk, and to make this music in a country in the grips of social division. So in our last episode, and if you didn't listen to our first episode where we interviewed Kathy McLeod, maybe go back and listen to that. But in our last episode, we were really struck by how Kathy McLeod, while documenting her life and her relationships in her comics, didn't feel part of a, of a wider artistic community or, or really have much of a need for such of a, a community when she makes her own art. Uh, her work seems to be generated out of a, a sort of really rich artistic isolation. But as we'll hear in our interview with Dino, he is part of a really dynamic and supportive underground music scene in Bangkok. Though like Kathy's comics, Dino's music is not political. His music really just focuses on honest self-expression. But we also spoke with him about the role that musicians and young people in particular play, if unintentionally, uh, in maybe changing Thai society. We also spoke with Dino about what pretty much everybody is talking about, the WikiLeaks release of the Murdered by the Sky transmission, and yeah, we couldn't resist playing it for you now, though you probably, like us, have been playing it nonstop anyway. I've been listening to this every night before bed, um, just to really freak yourself just out. Just to really freak myself out. And I keep trying to listen out for the Morse code that everybody claims they can hear in it. I'm not hearing any such thing, and I'm pretty sure all of this is just a hoax, um, which I think is unfortunate because... Wait, so you think it's a... You, so you think that the transmission... The transmission's a hoax. Totally all the WikiLeaks fake. document, totally fake. Totally fake. <laughs> totally fake. I think it's it, this... <laughs> Who, who faked it? Who's faking it then? I mean, there are trolls on the internet. I mean, there are <laughs> yeah, all right, fair <laughs> there enough. are people that, I mean, people Rick Roll people, Colin. I mean, like, <laughs> if you're if you'll do that, you'll make a fake transmission. So um, somebody's Rick Rolling Isaac. Yeah, yeah, they're Rick Rolling Isaac, um, trying to embarrass and sort of undermine the whole idea of this endeavor, which I think is a very good thing. We we need to explore Mars. And I know there are people that disagree. They believe maybe we could use these funds here on Earth. And I don't feel like we have to choose between these two things. There there are problems here on Earth, mm -hmm. yes. Um, but that shouldn't deter us from looking towards, you know, a potential future. Though I, I do need to always remind myself that, that I mean, you use the word explore, and that's true, but also we're, we are deep now into actual actually terraforming <laughs> terraforming right. Mars and sort of changing it uh, which you know so we're going to be exploring the, the changes that we have wrought yeah. right. uh, across the uh, those little microbes those, uh, but I feel like the implications of which could be applicable here 
on Earth. Oh yeah, yeah no, yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I think we're totally. But like that's so you. But you really think it's a hoax? So you think totally. that? So okay. So just somebody. No way. So somebody's doing that to to kind of turn public opinion or something against. Yeah, I think they're against the harbinger to, missions yeah, or something. I think they're trying to put yeah. people okay. in a position of antagonist to to the harbinger missions. Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe that it's real? Uh, I mean, I hear I hear what you're saying, but I don't I don't know. Come I on. guess. I guess. <laughs> oh man, I can tell by the hesitation. I can tell by the hesitation. I mean, I'm just. I guess maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm embarrassed to admit that I do believe it. But okay, well, first things. First thing. Do I believe that that uh, that the government or the governments of the world would keep some transmission that they hadn't kind of figured out that they'd keep that secret before you know that they keep it secret until they kind of really figured it out and figured out where it came from to begin with and like maybe what it meant or whatever uh i you know like that's totally but for this that's long totally, that's totally believe yeah. i don't know i mean like on, on i agree with you yeah. i agree with you the morse the that morse code murdered by the sky in morse code somewhere in the in the signal that does seem like horseshit. Yeah. Uh, total nonsense. But I don't know. I guess if it is if it is from Mars, if one of the if one of the satellites that's kicked out um uh, somehow has started working again, uh and if that somehow has anything to do with with the Harbinger one crew being alive mm-hmm. and being somehow able to to get a signal back to Earth, uh, then that then that's awesome. I mean, we you know, like my daughter, she's obsessed with the Mars missions and she loves the she's three and she loves the fact that there are these there are these people <laughs> on Mars. You know, she's got this plush Mars. Uh, globe you know cool. these are, she likes to point out like where the you know where they are <laughs> or were uh so i don't know i guess there's just my it's that hopeful I, I don't know i'm not usually a hopeful person so i don't know very optimistic but it <laughs> but if it's something else if like if it's not if it is real and it's not from mars i don't even i don't even know where to begin with that that's just too weird and scary but i don't know i don't know it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what happens in the next in the next couple of, in the next couple of weeks but um, I don't know I re- we 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 got Dino's take yeah. on on this Mars business and loved I love talking to him about that so as you may remember from last time uh, on each episode we we'd like to take a couple of minutes to talk a little bit about about some topic that uh, maybe can help paint a little bit of a picture of life here in in Thailand so today we're gonna talk um, a little bit about illegal immigration so so donald what is the deal with illegal immigration in thailand break it down for us well uh for over a decade problems of illegal immigration and forced labor has kept thailand on a u.s state department list alongside countries like afghanistan chad iraq and niger there are an estimated 2 million illegal immigrants in the Kingdom of Thailand. The majority of these immigrants are from nearby nations like Myanmar, Cambodia, Laos. A large number of these undocumented residents drive Thailand's labor economy. And news organizations such as The Guardian, 
The New York Times, uh, The Economist, have all done recent investigations into Thai smuggling rings that lure and transport migrants into the country only to sell individuals into unskilled, labor-intensive work. Abuse and exploitation are rampant among these positions and often overlooked by the Thai government. Thailand's illegals also include a large number of refugees from neighboring countries and other parts of Asia. The treatment of these populations has garnered a lot of criticism over the years, and the government is most often defensive. Another vast number of aliens in Thailand are Westerners from Europe and North America who enter on tourist visas and overstay. Well, I, I appreciate that you, you landed in that particular place because yeah. I... I uh... I always enjoy whenever I'm up in immigration going around and, and taking uh, pictures of all of the signs that refer to me as an alien. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I guess I think it's a little spooky at this time of these weird transmissions coming from outer space. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Th- it's hard to think about this problem without looking back to the U.S. and how the conversation about immigration and migration is unfolding there. And while illegal immigration and that, that, that term is very much like the, the phrase that is used, yeah. I'm just sort of thinking back to how that has become ugly phrase yes, yeah, in the U.S., yeah. you know, and even the... Um, you uh, mean to call someone a, almost like a legal immigrant yeah. now has a negative connotation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and I'm, just, I'm just thinking the, maybe it was like two weeks ago, I got a message on Facebook from a a writer uh, from a nation neighboring Thailand uh, who is in Thailand illegally uh, and had found my name through through the open mic night that I that I that I help organize and was seeking help was wow. seeking help uh, sort of wasn't clear what that help was exactly um, but I, I sat with that for you know about a half a day trying to figure out like what I could do and I really realized it was just way above my pay grade. And I fortunately, like, I have a friend who works at Human Rights Watch. So I contacted him and he gave me some information. So I passed that information along. But so I actually haven't heard, I haven't heard from, I was going to ask, I haven't, you I haven't heard that, from yeah. that person. And uh, I, I need to, I need to contact my, uh, my friend at Human Rights Watch and see what, what came of it. So how about, so Donald, like, what's, uh, have any poets contacted you? <laughs> no, no. I, I've, I've had an experience as an illegal alien myself. Um, How did that happen? Okay, so it was probably in the first year I was here. See, I overstayed. Um, I wasn't paying attention to, I guess, the day I came in. Time slipped by. So for for our non for our non expatriate listeners, yeah. <laughs> our non Thai uh, listeners. What explain like the visa? So sort of how that how that every how that works. every ninety days I have to report to Thailand and tell them that I'm here, and I did not do that. Also, I I have to make sure I get a year long visa, which I now have because I'm a teacher at a university. But before that, I was on a tourist visa, lasts for I think three months. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, about three months. And I landed in November, and it was April of the following year. And I just didn't think about it. I was just enjoying my time in Bangkok and Thailand. 
didn't think about the fact that I'm just walking around illegally. So my so wife, how'd you, yeah, how'd you figure it out? What what was the? My wife and I were trying to go to Cambodia, and so we're we're on the border of Cambodia, and I'm trying to I'm about to walk in to Cambodia, and the Thai you took, you took the bus from you take the bus took from the Bangkok, bus from Bangkok to, to the border, the border. Yeah. Um, and then as I'm about to cross over, there's a a building that you can say like check into. To say, hey, I'm leaving. I'll be right back. Thailand, don't worry. And as I'm walking out, they tell me, you can't leave. And I said, why can't I leave? <laughs> and they said, because... They wanted you. They, they yeah, really because wanted, we love you. They yeah. really wanted yeah. you. Yeah, we just want you to stay forever. And yeah, it was kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah, they were like, no, you owe us money. I was like, how do I owe you money? And they said, because you're an illegal. You <laughs> have been here. You've overstayed. So I'm standing there. Like how much money? And yeah, I owed 20,000 baht. Um, What's that in dollars? So 20,000 baht, yeah, it's about like uh, a little over 600 bucks. So they tell me I owe them 20,000 baht. Um, Initially, they told me I owed more. So there's this rule in Thailand that (laughs) you can be charged an undisclosed amount for the days that you overstay. So it's really up to the discretion yeah, of the person that's right. that you're talking to. So it started initially way higher, like 40,000. And then my wife freaked out and started yelling and she got it down to 20. So was she, was she was she handling this in Thai? She was handling this in Thai. I was there like a frightened child, um, not sure what was going to happen. I can't go into Cambodia. I can't go back into Thailand. I'm stuck in this this uh, 20-foot room, 20-foot square like the terminal with Tom Hanks. I can't go anywhere. I'm just stuck in this room. I'm a, I'm a prisoner <laughs> of this limbo. room. Yeah. I'm in limbo. So I need to pay them 20000 I don't walk around with 20000 on me. So I'm stuck. So my wife had to leave me in this room, find a way to get 20000 um, In Thailand or did she in, cross over she, into Cambodia? <laughs> she went into Thailand, back into Thailand, and I just stayed in this office until she could get the 20000 come back and pay them. And then I was able to move on. So I was illegal for Jeez. like a few months. Yeah. Kind of. Kind so of, now you've made, you've made damn sure that's not, you're not going not gonna to get into that situation again. You would think. <laughs> you would think. But I just had to, I just forgot 90 day reporting like two months ago. It is really quick. It yeah. does. Yeah. 90 days comes it's too not, fast. Yeah. I mean, that part of this is funny, but there's yes. actually very little. There's very little about there's very little about this that is funny. I mean right. the the there's and so much of it has been coming to a head mm. recently. Yeah, I, I was reading. I, I remember reading an article uh, about the Thai fishing industry um, and realizing how close it is to where we are now. Um, a lot of these boats and these slave ships are in Samut Prakan, which is less than 30 minutes from the center of Bangkok. So it's right here. It's right around us. Um, I remember reading a statistic about how much of the fish. So it's almost impossible um, living in Thailand to not have it touch you in some way. Every piece of fish that you you eat is from this industry that benefits from the abuse and the pain of 
undocumented workers. Yeah. Um, so it touches us all. Yeah. Yeah. At my daughter's third birthday party, we we decided to like not rent out some huge play space, mm. uh, which is kind of the thing here. You know, you rent out a play space where there's yeah. slides and lots of sugar and stuff like that. And I, you know, decided I was going to like organize some games myself and like play some songs that like none of the kids wanted to play. They just wanted to kind of run around. But there were a couple of their parents there, and uh, the father of one of my daughters friends was sitting on the couch and he just he looked really tired really ashen western guy and you know just sort of sat down and and you know started chatting with him a little bit and and turned out he worked with an organization that was uh tracking the boats that were bringing uh rohingya uh, mm. migrants from burma uh these people that the myanmar government considers illegal immigrants from Bangladesh and has right. no desire for them to be there. And, and a, a lot has come out recently about the in incredibly awful bordering on genocide, if not genocidal activities that these people are suffering. There were boats full of these, these people trying to, to make their way uh, to Malaysia or maybe Indonesia, where they believe they could find safe harbor. But he knew that these boats were out there. And he, for a variety of reasons, having to do with various governments involved and other organizations involved, wasn't sure what he, what he could do about it, what he could say about it. But he knew that, that some, maybe those, some of the, the ship captains were just going to maybe start throwing people overboard, that none of the countries, that Thailand didn't want these people, mm. that Malaysia didn't want these people. And this was around the time that they just discovered a lot of death camps right. in, the, in the mountains of southern Thailand and in northern Malaysia. So I'm just sitting at my daughter's birthday party, and these kids are running around high on cake sugar yeah. and just listening to this guy you know, who has this information and doesn't know what to do with it. And it seemed like in that situation, there was no, there was no, there was no right answer. There was no, because the, you know, the trafficking was terrible and, and resulted in, in death and resulted in an extortion and people getting sold to, to, to ships where they were forced to work. But at the same time, they had no place in Burma. They had no, and if they went, if they went back there, uh, I mean, there's still some of these, I think there's 600 Rohingya that are still in, in, in Thai government-run right. camps here. And they're, they sort of have nowhere to go. Thailand doesn't want them. Myanmar doesn't want them. Some of them have been able, I guess about 100 have been able to, to go to the U.S. Mm. And I guess Chicago is one of the areas where they're going. But they're stateless. They're truly stateless. And, and again, being a, you know, being here, le <laughs> I don't know, being here legally, it's just... I don't know. I mean, I don't eat shrimp as much, but there's shrimp, I mean, shrimp paste and, you know, and everything. It's in everything. And everything. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, and I know that's bullshit to say. <laughs> it's just, it's like, I don't eat shrimp. So that doesn't have to do with fucking anything, but it's just, it's, it's really hard to know what to do. And, yeah. uh, it's really hard to know what to do. So as I said before, there's very little that's funny. Yeah about this so thanks donald sorry i'm a bummer thanks for bringing this up <laughs> thanks for having questions yeah exactly <laughs> well hopefully dino can bring us back up yeah exactly so um <laughs> yeah. he's, he's got a lot on him now yeah so we we had a great time interviewing dino here at the freeze green club and talking about his band Degaruda. i just recently heard about Degaruda, but i've been searching for a band like them since i first arrived in bangkok I quickly fell in love with their 2014 self-titled LP. It's atonal structures, the shift, swift, 
dramatic key changes and the crunchy fat distortion. The album has been on repeat in my head. Dino is a very smart and talented dude, and as one of the frontmen of such a dynamic and unique musical act, he seemed to be a perfect person to provide insight into Bangkok's musical landscape. All right, let's go talk to Dino. So, Dino, um, I'm sure you've heard the transmission by now. Yep. What do you think of it? Well, it's kind of funny because, you know, if I, if I think about it one certain way, I'm a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I would think about it another way. Um, it shows that I'm completely apathetic to all the news that's going on. So, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So I can be like, oh, holy shit, something's happening. It's really deep. Or I can just be like, meh. You know? <laughs> just like, yeah, okay, whatever. That so doesn't play affect that out. me. If you're, if you're a conspiracy theorist, what's the, like, how does that play out for you? Like, what's the, what's going on in your well, head? Well, like, okay, s- something went tragically wrong with Harbinger One. Mm-hmm. And obviously the um, the governments and the um, that space organization is kind of covering it up. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to make sure that because they wanted Harbinger 2 to go, yeah, right? Yeah. Wow. So they, they kind of like didn't want any bad news to, to come out and stuff like that. And uh, so one, one part of my brain kind of goes, okay, that, you know, one, the first mission kind of disappeared. Nobody knows what's going on. It, it could have been... Um, accident and they haven't found an explanation because space is kind of like it's not small right it's pretty <laughs> yeah, big yeah. um yeah, or it could yeah. be something more sinister or mm. it could just be eh, uh, shit happens right? <laughs> right um but i think what's interesting is that you know since since the WikiLeaks thing came out like underground musicians are having more fodder to play to write about something a little bit more creative than just <laughs> being angry mm. uh, like murdered by the sky is just it's the perfect post-rock band name <laughs> it's the perfect metal band name um well, it's a perfect like pop punk band name so i think you know if anything d- good comes out of this incident it's that <laughs> we're gonna get some new music that's all about conspiracies in space all right right yeah that's that's amazing i yeah we've got to check and see whether you know i'm sure somebody's got i'm sure somebody's got that t- twitter account I'm sure somebody's got that URL. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure somebody's got that Bandcamp, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, snatched up. They don't yeah, know yeah, whether yeah. you know. They don't know whether it's going to be math rock yeah. or uh, or K-pop yet. But yeah. uh, I can't, that, I that be ima- impressive. A K-pop band yeah. with that name <laughs> it would actually be yeah. pretty impressive. I can imagine like some teenager or uh, a bud- budging songwriter <laughs> sitting in his room, like writing about darkness and loneliness and desperation and stuff. But he can't think of like um, what he should call it or mm. like what like, what he should write about because if it's just writing about darkness is cheesy and then all of a sudden this thing comes out and he's like oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? i have a purpose for my yeah, art you know. a gift from the gift from the heavens man yeah, yeah literally, literally. Yeah. <laughs> does that come up when you guys are playing or like when yeah i mean like it, the, the the band um itself is a f- i mean we consider ourselves to be four sci-fi geeks mm. like we we're a big um oh, there's actually an internal um sort of conflict between me and my drummer me myself i'm a star wars fan he's a star trek fan so they were always having these these debates um probably why that the music comes out kind of close because half the time we're kind of debating in our minds while we're playing music (laughs) um 
but yeah so and, and our bassist he he's like he's got his ear on like all the Thai social media and stuff and um everything that's happened um regarding these missions has you know Thai people are talking about it too and they're talking about on pantip.com and stuff so while we were waiting for like the basis um the guitars to be finished he was scrolling through like the the forums and stuff like that and he was just you know keeping us up to date and to, like you know oh this guy thinks that you know like obama's behind all this and stuff like that and it's just real it's it's real fun between him you know switching between you know these conspiracy threads and just showing us transvestite gay porn on youtube <laughs> and stuff like that so it made for a, a pretty a uh, lively recording session for the last yeah, couple of days. So yeah, yeah. porn for next one. So, uh, we hope. <laughs> Can't control this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, who knows? By the you know by the weekend, who knows? Like what the. I mean, I don't know. I'm just been curious whether like I, I can't really imagine what other documents. Well, I mean, the first is I, I'm just curious. Well, either way, if it if it is a if it is real, who leaked it, and whether we're going to know mm -hmm. that, and and then if it's not. You know who's who's fabricating it and what's really the agenda. Yeah. You know, and I the just ultimate uh, hoax. Ever. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. It's you know, it's it's amazing. You know, I'm thinking of that like I think it was like the New York. I think it was the New York Sun. Like, I don't know, 18 something or other. You know, like three days running, they had this piece about like uh, Herschel, uh, this astronomer. You know, finding you know people on on the moon, and it just mm. like for three days, just like everybody was reading that newspaper yeah, yeah. was reading these like super detailed. You know, you read them now, and they're just like bonkers accounts <laughs> and then it wasn't you know it wasn't until like a week later he was in south africa i think like yeah. so he didn't find out about it you know i don't know it's just sort of like a modern you know <clears throat> version of that but i don't know i don't know which way to f i don't know which way i'm but thinking it, it, regardless it. i think like stuff incidents like this really capture people's imaginations right i think yeah. in terms of um you know the the childhood sort of like anticipation for discovering new worlds and exploration and stuff like that felt like you know the first harbinger mission really kind of opened people's minds into like going back to like the 60s and space race where like you know things were possible i think before the harbinger one we kind of lost that in a sense and because you know with technology stuff everything's so like integrated in our daily lives and like nothing's new anymore and then something you get something like this and like the whole world just goes Oh, wow, you know, there's cool shit still happening. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. Well, we sh we should probably talk about some music here. I mean, I can talk. <laughs> I mean, I you know, I've been uh, I've been bothering my been bothering my wife. I've been talking. I mean, well, I haven't been talking about this with my daughter. I really can't drop that. She's like, she's really huge into space and mm. and the Harbinger missions, and I haven't been able to talk to. I don't know how I'm going to talk to her about this or when I'm going to talk to her about it. But like, madly <clears throat> texting my brother uh, oh, in yeah. you know in in central Massachusetts about all of this and. Uh, and it's hard, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get all that sci-fi stuff out of your head, you know, and yeah, just, like, yeah. deal with, like, whatever this, well, this hoax or reality is. But we should probably talk about some music. All right. <laughs> um, let's talk about your music. I know Donald and I have been listening to your record yeah. kind of on repeat for the on last, repeat. you know, the last 72 hours. Uh, and and love it. It's a fantastic, it's oh, a fantastic you. record. Yeah. On your, on your band camp, you know, it, it talks about DC Hardcore, Stoner Metal, and yep. Karen Carpenter, I believe. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know... I hear bits of that, uh, but there's, I mean, there's a lot that's obviously just you, but like, where does it come from? Like, where did you, where did you guys come from? Well, physically where we come from, we're all from Thailand. The band started in 2012, a couple months after I moved back from, from Brooklyn. So, um, you know, when I came back, I was here for two months and I, you know, called up my brother. I was like, hey, you want to play music again? I'm here now. And he's like, um, yeah, of course I want to play music because at, at the time he and he still is playing sort of uh, he's a drummer for this Japanese hardcore band mm. um, 
but it, like we sort sort of have similar styles and similar tastes in sort of the the more poppy melodic side of really angry music. Right. So um, um, so he was interested, and then you know um, Van, we've played with him in previous iterations and previous bands before as well. Um, great drummer. So um, and us three started just like I had a bunch of ideas that um, brought back from. I was working on in Brooklyn and I showed these guys and then we just worked on it from there and then the music kind of like we didn't have any intention of what kind of style we wanted we just like go in three dudes that really like rock music and like good songwriting and see what happens and then it kind of built up from there and you know like it ended up being music that would touch on really poppy like punk chanting like yeah 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 like pep rally kind of stuff to really dark kind of low B metal and so I guess the whole Karen Carpenter thing is we all three of us are Carpenters fans like really big Carpenters fans we have all their records um, we all are unanimously influenced by the way they write their songs so mm. when you listen to a Karen Carpenter a Carpenter song it's like the poppiest thing in the world and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous when we try to play a Karen Car- a Carpenter song, it's kind of like, wow, it really kind of tests your musicianship skills in the way that they construct the chords and the way the song flows. Huh. So that's sort of how we're trying to approach the way we write songs. It's not just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It's more like, let's see how we start off with an idea and then we build on it and let it kind of find its own way through. And lyrics to us are kind of secondary. Um, so from a vocal perspective, it's, it's just part of you know, the music ensemble. Um, so we don't really concentrate on the lyrics that much. So if you ask us what our songs are about, we really have no clue. <laughs> I was going to ask you what you're saying. Yeah. So, like, um, so you look at lyrics just as an, another layer of instrumentation. Yeah, like okay. um, my, top my brother, he's he's the primary songwriter in it. Mm. So, um, in this band, our first band together was in high school. <laughs> um, what was that band called? Yeah, I can't remember. It, but it was it was formed just for one talent show. Mm. So you can imagine how incredibly bad that was. <laughs> but he, but he's been playing ever since, and I've been playing ever since too in various different bands. Mm. Um, the, the main bands that I would consider, like, sort of when I've looked through my whole career of, mu- of music, the bands that that are, like, sort of the main bands that I've played in are always been the bands that he's been playing in as well. Oh. Like, so um, I just, like, have this... I can't write satisfying music, personally satisfying music, if, if like, Top's not around to just, you know, throw feedback into it. We've got, like, this, this formula that works really well, so... That's yeah. really cool. Or you're... Your parents' music? Did they encourage you to, to play music? No. or? Well, I mean, not sort of in the sense of I want you to be a musician, more along the lines of uh, I'm an Asian living in America. You're supposed to learn how to play piano. <laughs> so <laughs> I started playing piano when I was four, took piano lessons till then, till I was like about, I think, 12 or 13 or something. So start, everything started off with that yeah. and then um, picked up the guitar and then I taught top how to play guitar because I needed a rhythm guitar so I can do the solos in the bedrooms <laughs> and stuff like that. Our parents never like no they're not they're not musically inclined. They 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 like music, they like listening to music. Um and actually the reason why we like the carpenters so much is because they played it so much when we were kids. 
Um, yeah, what else was in their their record collection? What did you? What um, were you guys listening to in the car or um, around the house? Carabao. <laughs> you know Carabao. No, the, yeah. the Thai uh, songs for life. Yeah, very popular Carabao. Like one of those uh, Getting songs. Getting educated here. Made in Thailand, danced in Thailand. Made in Thailand. Just have a listen to it. It's got a really great riff, <laughs> and it's played on a flute. All right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. And it's it's a very Thai kind of song, but it's a rock song. So yeah. you listen to the Carpenters. Um, you listen to Kara Carabao. When I listen to your music, it reminds me of my own childhood. I grew up in and around DC. Mm-hmm. So I grew up wow. with bands like Bad Brains yeah. and Minor Threat. Right, and right. I hear that in your yeah. music. Yeah. Where did that come from? <laughs> like, where um, were you listening to that stuff? I think just um, organically, the, the way the DC hardcore scene kind of like um, took punk and turned it on its head and made it technically interesting from a songwriting perspective and also just like adding so much creativity in terms of the way they use their lyrics and, and how they build the songs around that. It just organically just struck a chord with us and it's sort of, you know, even if the DC hardcore scene didn't exist, we'd still end up writing music that's kind of similar mm-hmm. to that just because that's how we're hard right, wired to do stuff. It's not like, oh, let's go in and you know make this song sound like Fugazi or whatever because to tell you the truth none of us actually like listen to the DC hardcore scene in as in like if it's on our playlists it would be sort of like the songs that we played maybe five or six times as opposed to hundreds of times uh-huh. it's there the last album that was even vaguely associated to the DC hardcore scene that I really 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 dug was um, Girls Against Boys um, Freakonica, I think it's sort of DC almost mixed with a little bit of techno and dancey stuff. It was probably their worst record, but it was the one that, that for me, I could put in the car and just like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When did your parents move to the States? Well, um, they were in the States when I was born. I was born here, so they moved back here. Um, My mom moved back here so that she could give birth to me. Okay. And then she, um, because she's got a big extended family, she's got like 10 brothers and sisters. Um, she left me here with the grandma, and she flew back to the States because she had a job, and Dad was working there as well. So um, I was here for two or three years, so Grandma was basically you know, the role of mom. Um, and then I moved to the States when I was three years old, so that was like 1980. What was that like growing up Thai in the U.S., and, and where, where were you during that time? I was in, um, well, I was in Queens in Flushing for for about... I think five years. In 1985, we moved to New Jersey. Okay. To New Milford. Were you part of Thai communities? Vaguely. In each of those? How did you identify yourself? Uh, it's kind of weird because I don't identify myself with either Thai or American. I have U.S. like American sort of education, American growing up, probably like in terms of the, the way of, like thinking about things is sort of, is more American than it is Thai. Yet, you know, my parents are Thai, my entire family's Thai. I understand Thailand. I appreciate, I love the people, I love the culture, I love the food. I'm very proud of that. So, I mean, I guess it's, I could say I'm, I'm both, but I'm neither as well. Because there's huh, a lot of okay. things in, in America that I don't get. And there's a lot of things about Thailand that I absolutely don't get <laughs> at all, which I'm sure you're familiar with. So, What are some of the things about Thailand that you don't get? I mean, I view it 
as a country with so much potential, but it's so poorly mismanaged mm. that, and it's not just something recent, it's been poorly mismanaged, mismanaged for the past 30 or 40 years. So it doesn't ever, ever get to live up to its full potential. And I think it's ingrained in Thai society that 60% or 70% of the way, that's enough. That's good enough. You know, but there's no sort of strive for excellence in the in culture. Even just comparing how Thailand works compared to like our neighbors in Southeast Asia, you know, like we go, oh yeah, you know, we'll have, we'll be the first with broadband internet or something like that. But then they do it so half-assed that it's, oh, yeah, you're, you're the first, but it only covers Bangkok. And it's been like that for like how many years? So it's kind of like that kind of stuff where it's just like, yeah, we'll do it. And then uh, it's a little bit too much effort and I'm too late. <laughs> Yeah. And that's what I don't understand. I think that this country can has so much potential economically, um, culturally, and stuff. We just don't can't be bothered, you know. What were some of the things you didn't understand about the U.S.? Wow, where do I start? <laughs> um, maybe it's not that I don't understand it, but it, it was it just blew my mind how you can travel from one state to another. And it feels like two completely different countries and two completely different cultures. Uh, in a sense, that's awesome and mind blowing. And I feel like you know every state has their own unique heritage and unique story to tell. But it also creates a lot of hostility and like tribal kind of mentality. Not just politics, but like sports and and um, culturally in terms of how you take in the news and stuff like that. It's very. Yeah, my state's the best, man. Screw your state. It's like, but you're part of the same country. And I, yeah, I know you have 30, 300 million people. Not everybody can agree. But you guys don't have it that bad. That You got to, you know, like, especially with the whole political discourse lately being so polarizing in a sense where it's just like, oh, why do you guys fight, hate each other so much? I mean, yeah, it's it's... Mm. And, it for, and it for a country that's like economically and uh, financially still the leader of the world, techno technology-wise, I mean, like a Facebook is a U.S. product, Google's a U.S. product. You know, this, you guys got like, it's an effect for the entire globe economically and technologically, but you still have to fight amongst yourselves over the most petty things. Is kind of weird <laughs> to say the least. I mean, taking kind of that critique of the U.S., that kind of tribalism, when you apply that to Thailand can you make can one make fairly the same critique I guess so but in a sense that that sort of polarization isn't it's not that it wouldn't I wouldn't say it's not as ingrained but in America like people's quite independent in terms of their thinking right so it's quite hard to change their minds whereas in Thailand people tend to be a little bit more whoever like Whoever they look up to is, says something, hmm, um, okay. they'll follow that. So even if there are two polarizing camps, or even two or three or whatever, I feel like if the leaders or the people that, of those groups that people look up to kind of try to actually work out and try to bridge these divides, everybody else will follow. So it's an easier managed kind of thing here. Yes, huh. there is polarization. Yeah. But part of the reason why it's so polarized right now as opposed to 10 years ago is because the, the leaders were so polarized. Mm. So before Thailand wasn't this divided. Like 10, 15 years ago, it was nothing like this. 
It's only happened over the past few years. And, it, you know, Facebook doesn't help, right? Because all, all it does is show you everything that you agree with. So you think that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. And when you've got two polarized groups thinking that, that their reality is the correct reality, you know, it's very hard to fix. But I, again, I, I think in Thailand, it's kind of different from the States because they're inherently people are already polarized here. They're polarized because they're following their leaders. Mm. So you fix the leaders, you know, it should it should be an easier fix. And, you know, we're only 70 million people compared to 300 million. Um, you were talking about the polarization in America. Um, people are always fighting. There's a lot of rage, a lot of anger. But out of that rage and anger comes kind of cool music sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, I guess first I want to ask you, do you see potential in Thailand for a similar type of rage that could be cathartic and make music. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. A absolutely. And I think um, that stuff is actually happening right now. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of bands that sort of channel that anger and turn it into something positive. For example, bands like Kana, which is like this very technical, extremely just awesome um, screamo band that, you know, if they were in anywhere else in the world, like in America, they would be recognized already. I think in terms of just um, artists. Artists generally tend to be a little bit less politically. I mean, there are politically motivated artists, but I think for underground music in general, like if you're an artist, you're sort of one of those people that tend to look at the entire situation and go, ah, this is stupid anyway, politically. I'm just going to concentrate on my music. And musicians tend to help each other out or form little cliques or like collective groups not based on the color of their politics but by the style of the music so in, in the end it doesn't really matter politically like what where the challenges are doesn't really translate doesn't really um how do i say it? get it doesn't get personified in the in the music the music is just the music right i mean maybe the frustrations from politics blah blah stuff like that gets fleshed out and gets brought to life in the music but in the end if you're a new band wanting to play a show, you're going to play a show in any place that will have you play your music because the music comes first anyway. Mm -hmm. so. You said something I, that I found interesting. You said if, if they were in, if they were anywhere else, they would be popular. Yeah. So I noticed in Thailand and Bangkok, especially uh, pop, um, sort of like jazz lounge type covers dominate the musical landscape yep. um where do you find room for you like oh. in all of this there, there's yeah. there's definitely room for us i mean thailand's a big country um and we're definitely not mass we're not aiming to be mass at all mm. i think in any any sort of um, country in the world there's you know that that big overbearing sort of corporate mass entertainment that's always going to be there but if you sort of compare where Thailand is now culturally in terms of the arts and stuff like that, it's playing it very safe, right? But that goes back to my point on how Thai people tend to follow their leaders. So whatever that's been done, whatever that formula is, and it's been proven to be successful in the 70s, it still will be like that now. And that is why the Thai soap operas, you see how hilarious that stuff is. Because yeah. it's so outdated, right? This is, this is the same formulas that they have um, and then in, in, since the 60s and the 70s, where you have the, you know, um, the really pretty 
almost Japanese looking heroine. She falls in love with a handsome guy, and then there's evil stepmother in the background who lives in a big ass fucking house that is absolutely in no way representative of any sort of, of the Thai population at all. <laughs> um, so, but that's that stuff works. People eat that shit up. Mm. So, why change, right? These companies are like, we're making so much money out of advertising. I don't need to change that sort of shit. But now with the you know, with digital and how people have more access to content and more democratic access to content, you're not getting shoved with shit down your throats. I think it's a better time for underground culture to be exposed. And especially, not just underground culture, it's kind of funny because the artist culture here is automatically associated with underground culture because art is underground in Thailand, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think now people are starting to get a little bit more open-minded. There was progress until, unfortunately, the coup when everything sort of kind of like, you know, people are going back to their conservative mindsets of like, yeah, fuck yeah, Thailand, we're the best country in the world, regardless of whether we're the most corrupt, sexually frustrated, whatever. Um, you say that the things were cooking along until the coup, and then is there music that you can kind of, that you can point to that, that clearly comes out of that particular crisis? Or like late 70s for example like another like like really important moment in in thai culture i mean are there are there moments you know in the political history or the cultural history that you can sort of, that you can track kind of art against and sort of say yeah that that emerges out of that or that was a, a particular music or a particular kind of film or whatever was was a response to that mm. one i think it's too soon to say because uh, it takes a while to create art yeah. and music uh, but two from a music perspective, it hasn't. There hasn't been something like the '60s movement or sort of the LA kind of metal scene happening like in recent years because p- music doesn't seem to generally. It hasn't been for a long time where a whole genre of music would be created out of an incident or an event. You know that yeah, okay. that stuff happened. Ha- you know, it's been a long time since something like that happened. Now music seems to organically just, it just goes wherever, wherever it goes, which I think is great um, because now it's it's very hard to define and, and silo certain groups and certain styles and stuff, which I think also makes it so much harder for a musician to be successful because if you can't associate yourself to, hey, like when grunge came out, every other Seattle band was like, yeah, I'm, I'm from the grunge scene, grunge scene, you know, and then they get signed, you know. Now, because there's so many genres out there and it's so spread out and even the genres themselves are mixing genres up, you know, like you've got, you know, like folk musicians that are mixing up with electronica. There's folk metal, you know, like like just it's it's and right now it's just moving at such an organic pace that it's it's really hard to define where that where that music actually comes from, which I think is awesome because in the end. Um, you 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 end up more focused into the story of the musician himself or herself, as opposed to the environment that he grew up in or the events that had happened at the time when he was writing music and stuff. So, I I'm curious, what do you hope to accomplish with your music? What do you aspire for with your music? Um, to tell you the truth, I I feel like I've accomplished everything I've aspired to wow. already. I guess I mean some would say that aspirations are that aspirations are low but my aspirations has never been to play to 10,000 people at Wembley Stadium that's not 
my thing. I'm, I don't think I'm actually physically even geared for it. I would probably <laughs> like hate it and just die. My my be- the best shows I've ever played in was in like a club like Fatty's, mm. where you can fit in sixty people extremely uncomfortably, but every single one of them would be paying attention to the music and just be like, yeah. But I I mean I think I've accomplished that. You know, I mean we've played to to crowds of two or three people. Actually, the night of the coup, we um, we were supposed to play a show, and the show didn't get canceled. They were like, fuck it, we're still going to go with it. <laughs> Nobody showed up except the other bands. So we were playing to an, a big-ass room to maybe about five or six people. But they fucking loved it, you know? And they were just like, they were so into it, and it was just... You know, a- afterwards we we all came out, came off from the stage, and we were just like, you know, that's that didn't suck. <laughs> kind of like that, you yeah, know. And yeah. you know, it's it's just, I mean, music is not, I guess, because it's not a job, right? We're not l- expecting it to make a money from us. For us, uh, we're still looking at it as a hobby, I guess. So when you're treating something as a hobby, you end up not having to worry about whether it'll feed your family the next day and more in terms of let's do something that we really, really enjoy. And so, yeah, I mean, from that perspective, I've, I've done that. I'm, I'm in a band that I'd like to think is respectable and we're sort of, you know, we're influencing other people. We had another, another band come up to us the other night and, um, and they were like, after we saw you at Noise Market last year, um, Noise Market, this music festival, that's the re- that show is the reason that we started our band and stuff. Oh, that's like, awesome! Yeah, you know, if any musician ever, if you're a musician, yeah. that that's yeah. that well, thing that's, that just like warms your heart, right? Having lived here in Thailand for a couple of years, it seems that in certain ways, um, and please correct me if I'm totally off base mm-hmm. on this, it seems that in certain in certain areas, Thais are super sensitive about um, Thainess mm-hmm. and about like what is Thai and what is foreign and what and and whether um, some element of Thai culture uh, whether it's whether it's art or whether it's religion um, has been influenced by the outside world mm-hmm. I'm just curious like how does your how does your experience of making music here in Thailand reflect that I mean is is making the, the kind of music that you're making that's that is this as you said kind of this undefinable uh fantastic hodgepodge of these different um uh, these these different influences um is that just kind of is that is that owned as thai or is it or is it just regarded as as this kind of foreign music yeah this this foreign thing that is played within thai borders well um from my observation um and i know many people would agree with me is um the the, the, those those people who are sort of very kind of nationalistic in that way and like this is Thai this is what defines Thailand this is um, you know what it means to be Thai it's that's a generational gap so people over 35 or 40 that's sort of the people who would think that way um, the younger generation now they don't think like that at all you know especially with exposure to with digital you know they see they see so many aspects they're open to they're exposed to other cultures all the time through facebook through youtube you know so to them what it means to be thai is very oh that's what my mom and dad taught me and that's my my, my grandmother for them what it means to be thai for them is just right now there is no definition it's very 
up in the air. Because even what it means to be Thai, if you're looking at a government perspective, changes every fucking four years anyway. So, yeah. so yeah. the people who control the country yeah. <laughs> are even changing all the time. Huh. So it's kind of hard to define that, right? So, yeah. And I think the younger generation now is, um, especially the the ones who are sort of hitting thirty in the next couple of years, the ones who are just like the first jobbers. The the people that I've worked with who are in that age, they are so bright, and so fucking smart, and so open minded. Yet they have. They don't have confidence in themselves at all because their entire time has been they've been beaten down to be like you do this you do that you have to think this way you have to think that way so when they come into an environment where it's kind of like you tell us what you think because we're too old and like we don't know this shit you know like what's they they just like well really i have to think for myself but then when when they do after a while when they get used to it these kids are smart man they're they're really smart they're bright they're open-minded they know they know this shit Speaking about the future of Thailand and this generation coming up, how or what role do you think music, um, especially the type of music you're making, is going to play into shaping Thai identity? Mm. I think that's a grand expectation for mm. any musician to right. to. You, you write music to sort of first to satisfy sort of a creative hunger that you have in yourself, right? If other people tend to love it as well. Great, you know, come along for the ride. Uh, but if you start music by or any sort of art by with that intention of I am going to change an entire generation, I feel like that's not that's not why art that's not why art should exist. You know, art shouldn't exist to it, it's it should be just a cultural expression. If people whether people choose to follow it or not, that's you know neither here or there. But like, there's. You know, the people who, the cavemen who drew in the cave drawings, they didn't expect that shit to change their world, right? But it's, if we didn't have that, you know, we wouldn't have any point of reference in terms of humanity, where we come from, what our story is. So I think in terms of, you know, hoping that that uh, a, a, commu- a group of artists will have such impact in a generation is quite egotistical and, mm. and, and not, not realistic. So I'm just curious, like your your songs are in English, and that implies a in a, in a way to me implies a certain possibility of audience, right? Mm-hmm. That that is that maybe wouldn't be there. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe wouldn't be there if you were singing in Thai. Sure. Do do you want your music? Maybe not, as you say, in that egotistical way to to change the culture. But do you do you kind of have a sense of like wanting to be in dialogue with musicians, whether they're in Japan or New oh, Zealand yeah, yeah. Or, or Paris, like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, any artist, uh, regardless of whether you're a musician or a painter or a poet, wants would love to be received in another part of the world, right? I mean, any that just that acknowledgement from that one person in Siberia who says, "I, you know, I love your poems," or "I love that that painting," or "I love your music." It's like that is already extremely satisfying. The reason why we sing in English is just because we can't sing in Thai. <laughs> Seriously, what do you mean you can't sing in Thai? If we could sing in Thai, we would. If we could write in Thai, we would. We just can't. It just doesn't. It doesn't sound good when you put the sentences together. When you put the um, my my Thai, my brother's Thai is not good enough to to write lyrics, huh. and especially because Thai is a tonal hmm. language, right? You have ma 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 ma. You know, sounds the same, but different tones, completely different meanings. 
So in that sense, when you're writing a music that's so based on melody, you have to choose words that follow that melody. That's super interesting. Wow. Yeah. So our tie is not comprehensive enough to choose words that go with that melody. English is just English, right? English, 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 it's all English, you know, <laughs> right? So it's easier and more flexible to come up with with words for that. If we could write in time, we would, dude. Really? Mm. Totally would. Yeah. For, as an ignorant American, I know you're a Thai band and I hear you sing in English. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just like this part of my brain that's just, you know, it's like, it's for me, you know? Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. and it's, and it, I think America has this weird kind of possessiveness in yeah. that way, or kind of going out and mm -hmm. kind of grabbing culture you know kind of yeah, dragging yeah, it back yeah. like oh we'll take yeah. that that seems pretty good in a way that i don't know i'd like i'd like to think i was an open enough or creative enough person that i would do that if you were singing in thai but i think there'd be some sort of subconscious thing that wouldn't quite click in that way you know what i mean yeah they would kind of be like that's not for me right right that's right. for that's for somebody else and maybe i could figure out what it means maybe it rocks yeah but it's not for me um yeah. i don't know i just uh well, I think, luckily, like I said before, our lyrics don't really matter. So <laughs> we're not really singing about anything. I mean, English is just, it's sort of like, okay, it's, that's the, it, you know, we're just lazy to even try, I guess. Um, so <laughs> there we're, are... we're not a lazy band. We're just lazy to write lyrics for. But I think in terms of that, it, now that I think of it, though, I mean, Degaruda is considered a Thai band, right? We're a Thai rock band. But if you take the location out of it, are we really a Thai band? You know, like right. we don't actively spontane like actively try to build in Thai elements to our music. Now, whether that is to our fault and says something about us being sort of just siloed and totally ignorant of the culture around us, or whether it's just that we don't, we feel that it's not important because music is music regardless of where it comes from or who it comes from. You know, that's up for debate, but. I think, I think music especially is one of those few areas in art where um, the culture doesn't really come in so much. You know, a good song is a good song regardless of where it's from. Uh, there's this Japanese band called uh, Lunacy. Uh, they released a song a couple of years ago called I For You. Actually, quite a few years ago. It was the soundtrack to to a Korean sort of soap opera. Um, but this is one of the most beautiful, most heartbreaking rock songs like I've ever heard. Mm. And I don't understand a word right. he's saying. Yeah. But it's, it's, it is, for example, it's one of those songs where on my iPod if or on my phone, if I compare it to the amount of plays that has to Fugazi, that has infinitely a, a lot more. Yeah. Just because it's just, anytime it comes on, it's one of those songs where anytime it comes on, you have to listen to it the entire way. It's so oh. good. It's one just of, a beautiful yeah. song. One of my favorite bands is from Japan, uh, Asian Kung Fu Generation. Oh, yeah. I don't know anything that they're saying, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, <laughs> And man. it doesn't matter. I'm in love with them. So, I mean, it seems like, it seems like you've got a pretty tight and close-knit musical scene here. Does that kind of intimacy and that closeness with uh, b between between bands and between artists does that extend beyond music? Are there writers or painters or dancers or filmmakers that oh. are kind of like part of the same scene, or does it or does it get kind of balkanized by by art mm. genre? No, I mean 
music by nature tends to happen like events of a musical nature tends to happen more easily more often than sculpture or painting or poetry readings or stuff like that so you end up seeing musicians more than you see other people but in terms of like big events and stuff like that like um you know my my friend liam liam um liam morgan who's a sculptor slash um, filmmaker here in Bangkok. He comes to a lot of the shows. Um, you see a lot of famous photographers coming. Um, a lot of the uh, the Dude Sweet crowd, which does a lot of good art and stuff like that as well, come to the shows. So it is a it's definitely a mix of of a lot of different crowds. When I first moved to Bangkok, I I was looking for the music scene, um, looking for bands like yours. And not having any luck mm. online, I had no idea if Fatties even existed. Yeah. Um, how, if you were to recommend to a person looking, oh, I was hope I okay. was looking forward to this question. <laughs> if you were, if you wanted to recommend to a person um, looking for this music, how do you find it? Dave, Where are you all? Dave Kamaldi blogspot.com. He is a, a, an extremely interesting character. He's um, he's half Vietnamese, I think, half American. Um, he grew up in New Jersey, but he's 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 moved. He, he's been living in Thailand for. I don't know, Dave. You'll hate me if I say this wrong, but like seven or eight years. Um, but he's he's like you. So mm. for, he didn't know, you know. He's he loves the DC hardcore scene. He mm. loves underground music, but he didn't didn't know where to go. And, and for a long time, he just didn't think that it existed. Um, and then he discovered fatties mm. and then from there met another person who met another person and met another person and now he's pretty much the guy that chronicles the thailand underground scene that's awesome so yeah. anything and everything you need to know about about uh, what's going on in thailand in terms of like holy shit there's stuff like that that's actually going on um yeah, this is the guy to go to. And and in his blog, he has a lot of guest bloggers as well. So um, mm. there's this guy, Toby Williams, who plays for an incredible, awesome expat band called Count the Thief, which Count the Thief, if you can imagine, like spacey indie rock mixed with a lot of attitude and incredible musicianship. Um, they, like, they're fucking amazing. Um, so he guest writes for them. Andrew Wright is another guy that guest writes for um, Cromaldi's blog, but his columns are usually basically having a look at old indie rock bands old thai indie rock bands that you might have missed five or six years ago that are awesome that sounds great and andrew wright lives in dubai um and he he plays in a punk rock band in in oh sorry not dubai saudi arabia called wolves versus fairies and they've come and they've done a couple shows here as well um toby yeah as i said he's in campathy which is an amazing band if you can you know, um, go to their page, have a listen. It's it's really good stuff. Um, but yeah, Dave Cromaldi is actually he's he's probably with one of the reasons why Degaruda is where we are right now. Like we played one show at Fatty's, and after that, he wrote about it, and then people read about that from the article. And it's just, wow, that's just awesome! There, yeah. So yeah, so you're recording that's the guy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you're recording the new album. Yep. Um, when do you hope to have it out? hopefully before the end of the year okay. um, but we'll see how next weekend goes <laughs> okay. and it, re- it literally does come down to what happens on Sunday mm. what happens on Sunday <laughs> yeah. and of course we can expect a uh, you know a bonus track you know a good solid like 20 seconds after the last you know the last song fades just yeah. like the secret jam 
murdered by the sky. Oh, <laughs> dude. Don't even get me started on that because we will do that. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll, t- I'll take that up as a challenge. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe just the last last thing, uh, Donald, as you have anything, is, is just um, if you had some recommendations for – you know, if somebody wanted like a, a a good snapshot, not comprehensive or anything, but like a good snapshot of like of the time music scene, like what band should they check out? And we'll put some links up on the website. Um, well, the the uh, the Thai music scene or the Thai underground scene. Ah. <laughs> well, just can you break oh. can you break that break that apart for me? And I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you picked okay. up on that, but break yeah. that break that down like what you mean. So I'm, mean I'm not I'm not meaning good or bad. Bad. Yeah. I'm not. I'm, these recommendations are not because they're good. Or because they're bad, they're just representative. Okay. Um, so for the mainstream stuff, um, apartment kunpa, apartment and then kunpa. Yeah. Um, this lead singer does spoken word over some funk slash jazz music. Kind of interesting. Um, Body slam. <laughs> yeah. Which is sort of the Taken Back Sunday. Yeah, of Thailand. Of Thailand. Um, it's popular right now. In terms of indie, there's Polycat, which is pretty interesting. A band that's sort of coming up right now, um, they have quite a bit of hype, is Young Man and the Sea, which is sort of a Mumford and Sons kind of oh, wow. um, style. Okay. Uh, Brand New Sunset is always my go-to band as in terms of you want fucking good rock music that's yeah. like built on 80s arena shit with a lot of screamo and a lot of technicality yeah. brand new sunset is one of the best bands there is we and we have not asked you degaruda mm-hmm. what's it mean what's the deal <laughs> the, the name yeah the name yeah. uh it was garuda it was originally garuda but it was originally megaruda like mega garuda like um but um it didn't sound cool it sounded better with a d <laughs> awesome. yeah, that's, this is how so we think we get, of lyrics and words. Really. Yeah, you get, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, Dino, thank you so much for chatting yeah, with us, man. Thank this you for so having much me. fun, and uh, and we'll post a bunch of stuff, and we can't wait for the new record. We'll definitely talk about it when uh, when it's out in the world. So, thank you so All much. Right, great. So I think I think the first thing I have to say about Dean, the interview with Dino is I just I loved his I loved everything he said about about the murder by the sky transmission. I just yeah. thought that I thought that was that was fantastic. But I particularly loved the way again we were sort of talking about like is it a hoax? I mean again we touched on that with him too. But but what he talked what he said about like what it does for the imagination. I mean I yeah. guess I guess the transmission and like the wondering about it you know, wondering, is it real or is it not real? But also just like the, the missions themselves and kind of capturing that sort of wonder. Yeah. I mean, again, that's why, that's why I made my daughter a Mar, you know, a Harbinger spaceship, you know, cause it's that, yeah, it's that sense of wonder. And it is, and, and talking about, like you said, like talking about, you know, that lonely dude full of angst yeah. n- needing some, needing some outward thing to kind of connect that to and then this transmission is, is yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I don't know. I just loved, I love the way he talked about that. And I just, I love the way he talked about his music. I mean, 
that's what I miss in an artistic community. Yeah. You know, that's what I miss that like his ease with it, his seriousness is, but it's, it was also super playful. Yeah. And I don't know. I just found his artistic ethics super refreshing. Yeah. It was, it was, um, his, his optimism is infectious. His outlook towards what his community can do and what they are and what they could be it was very admirable and so i'm really glad we got to talk with him that that really stuck with me it yeah. really stood out to me yeah, yeah. it sort of st- stung in a way even though i'm not Thai, but like when he said like a lot of people think that like 60 percent is enough <laughs> right you know and again just in compare in comparison with how he talked about his music right and about yeah. his like you know not to be hyperbolic but like 100 like he's very clearly just so invested yeah. in this yeah and as you say like his belief in kind of what that can do and mm. you know and, and also as he was saying like his sort of sense of if ties stopped following the leadership yeah whatever whatever of, of whatever persuasion and sort of playing it safe yeah you know and if like the youth you know if like that what, what do you call them first jobbers <laughs> you know if that sort of if like if those if those people yeah that collection of people is sort of if that if they kind of take take control of things how things i don't know yeah as you say it's it's optimistic and, and i'll say like as a as a teacher here that was not often how <laughs> i left the class well you know it's not how i left the classroom that's not often because teaching critical thinking here was hard yeah yeah it goes against the, yeah trying to trying to encourage are, encourage people to think about yeah. what's happening here is not an easy thing there are a few students that um they give me hope every day when <laughs> There, there are a few. They're out there. the The future dinos. I'm, <laughs> you know, the future dinos. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm excited about it. Yeah. yeah. I found it super interesting what he said about how the artist culture is automatically associated with the underground. Right. You know, just that act of being an artist is to be, you know, is to be underground. I just, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's he, he, as he pointed out, that's not totally true. There are mainstream yeah. acts, but that there's something countercultural about about being an artist and uh and again i just you know i want i want to i want to hear i want to you know we, i go out to listen to those bands and i want to go to some of those shows you know the way you describe those those shows as like meeting places of of artists uh yeah it got, got me super got me super excited and but again kind of goes back to that same thing of like why have we i guess we just didn't we didn't talk to dino yeah yeah i've been looking for them but i couldn't find them yeah. now i now i know yeah yeah, yeah. I think we're giving people a, a a very strange impression of us as like, on the one hand, we seem to know a couple of things about the world and like writing and stuff. And <laughs> on the other hand, like we seem like we don't know how to use the internet right. or something. Like, <laughs> Just some old dudes, some old funny duddies. How does it back in how, my day? How do you how do you spell art? Yeah, you used where to walk do artists 15 go? Miles yeah, to exactly. <laughs> yeah, maybe just how he said like that art. That hit like the music scene is a place where people gather together to support each other based on their their musical affiliations, not on their color politics. Yeah. And again, I just think that I think that's really, I don't I don't know I don't I like the I mean I appreciate his optimism. I don't know I necessarily agree with that as a universal. I don't mm. think that is true in the U.S. Right. I mean maybe I don't know maybe there's no, some bands I, that like that do a really good job crossing red blue divide, but I don't know. I mean like. The number of artists that Donald Trump has pissed off by right. using their music, you know, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's just 
I don't think Rage Against the Machine is going to play at a Republican national convention. You know, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's so again, I I, I appreciate that optimism. I really like that attitude. I'm just thinking if thinking how much it applies to the not. Yeah, not that it's a different damn country, but (laughs) thank you so much to Dino for coming here to the Freeze Green Club and sitting uh, with us in this strange dark nine seat <laughs> theater uh which you know if you haven't if you haven't followed the link yet from our website you should totally um totally check that out the freeze green club uh this film club here down a dark alley in bangkok <laughs> so you can find a link to the freeze green club you can find a link to to dino's music also a lot of the musicians that he uh, and bands he was talking about uh, we'll put links up there um and as always you can find some of our own musings about uh, what Donald and I are thinking about as we get this podcast off the ground. You can find all of that at poetinbangkok.com. Uh, and we're also on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Thanks to Anna, John, Barry, Patrick, Mark, Kenneth, and Ian for their invaluable help. And thanks to Dino and Garuda for letting us use some of their music for this episode. And to whoever gave WikiLeaks that murder by the sky transmission. And thanks to Paul Inoue at the Freeze Green Club. Tell your friends about us, whether they're into Thai hardcore, art, travel, or just quirky podcasts in this era of missions to Mars. And whether you live in Bangkok or Topeka, Hanoi or Chicago, Georgetown or Queens, we hope you'll keep listening to what we get up to here on Poet in Bangkok. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.